the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. You see, Paul wants every one of us to understand that it isn't the law that restrains us from degenerating into a life of wanton pleasure, but rather it is by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the new nature within us that we have the ability to to obey God out of the right motivation of love. Welcome again to Verse by Verse. We're glad that you've joined us for today's class taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve begins a two-part study today titled, Call to Freedom. Our Bible location is in the New Testament book of Galatians in chapter 5. Steve will show us that the Apostle Paul refuted the accusation by the Judaizers that his message of salvation by grace alone only led to Christians thinking they could live in sin. Here is Pastor Steve. Well, let's open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 as we continue our study of Paul's magnificent letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Paul writes, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. This morning, we return to our study of Galatians by looking at a passage that really marks a a brand new section in this letter. Notice how Paul begins verse 13. He says, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Now, the subject of freedom is really not something new that Paul is introducing here for the first time. Prior to this statement here about freedom, Paul has mentioned the word freedom ten times. In fact, the epistle to the Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty because liberty and freedom are stressed so much in this letter. And the reason for this, as you'll recall, is because the Galatians were put in danger of listening to false teachers, Judaizers, who wanted to put them under religious bondage by telling them that they had to keep all the Mosaic laws in order to be saved. And so Paul's primary purpose in writing this letter is to persuade the Galatians to maintain their freedom in Christ by rejecting the teaching of the Judaizers and continuing in the message that they first heard from him, that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so the concept of freedom and and Christ, Christ and freedom, is certainly not something that's new to this letter. What is new, though, what is new is that for the first time here in chapter 5, verse 13, Paul brings up the subject of Christian freedom 
as it relates to our personal behavior. In other words, he wants the Galatians and every Christian to understand how those who have been freed from the tyranny of the law, how we're supposed to live, how we live out our daily lives as free people. See, apparently, in addition to all the other charges that the Judaizers had leveled against Paul, he wasn't a real apostle, he didn't have a valid message from God, they also accused him of preaching a message that they said would lead the Galatians astray, it would lead them, they said, into loose living, immoral living. In other words, they said that if the Galatians embraced Paul's message of justification by faith alone apart from the law, it would give them a license to sin. That's what they were talking about. That's what they accused Paul of preaching, that kind of a message. See, the Judaizers believed that the only thing that could restrain and would restrain sin in a, in a person's life and keep them from unleashing their sinful passions was adherence to the strict laws of the Old Testament because those laws governed every action in life with a specific rule and regulation. But without any obligation to keep the law as the means of salvation, the Judaizers reasoned that Paul's message of grace would corrupt the Galatians and that they would fall back into their own lifestyle of paganism. But until now, in this letter, up to now, Paul has really not addressed this specific issue of a Christian's freedom in relation to their daily behavior. Remember, he has only dealt and thoroughly dealt with the theological issue of justification by faith alone, not by the works of the law. That's what he's dealt with, not the practical aspect of it. But now, with that issue out of the way, with the theological concern out of the way, he's dealt with it thoroughly, completely, justifications by faith alone. Paul is ready to answer this charge of the Judaizers that freedom from the bondage of trying to keep the law to be saved means, they said, that a Christian saved by grace alone is going to live in unrestrained sin. And Paul's answer to that charge, that grace is a license to sin, is that it's not true. It's not true at all. He's going to make it abundantly clear that Christianity does not lead a person away from the law into sin. On the contrary, Paul is going to teach that the gospel message of salvation by faith leads to, watch this, a relationship with Jesus Christ in which he indwells every believer by the Holy Spirit who empowers us to obey God and obey him out of the right motives. This is why Paul will go on after these initial verses in which he speaks about freedom to speak so much about the Holy Spirit and his sanctifying work in the life of believers. Notice how Paul follows this message about freedom by writing about the Holy Spirit in relation to believers and the way we're supposed to live. Notice chapter 5, verse 16, just the following verse right after this passage. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. He goes on to write, For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Then jump down to verse 22 and verse 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. 
Then look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. You see, Paul wants every one of us to understand that it isn't the law that restrains us from degenerating into a life of wanton pleasure, but rather it is by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the new nature within us that we have the ability to to obey God out of the right motivation of love. And so Paul begins this section by declaring that when we were sovereignly called by God to become Christians, we were also called to freedom. Now, once again, let me remind you, the freedom that Paul is referring to is the freedom from the release of the bondage of the law as the means of salvation. Christ's death has set us free from thinking of the impossible task of trying to earn our way to heaven by keeping the law. We've been set free. We're not under that bondage anymore. We're not under that tyranny of thinking that we have to do one more thing to gain God's merit. But here's the question we need to ask. Now that we have been set free from trying to justify ourselves by living according to the strict code of the law, how should we live? That is to say, if we're free from the tyranny of striving to keep the law as the means of salvation so that we don't have to keep the law as the means of justification, then how does God want us to live? In other words, how is someone who is called to spiritual freedom, how are we supposed to conduct our daily lives if we're not obligated to live by the seemingly endless stream of Old Testament ceremonies and regulations and rules? How are we supposed to live? Now, that's really a critical question. It's an important question to consider and one that is far more significant than most people realize because there are many people today, even professing Christians, who think that freedom in Christ means that they are free to behave any way they please to behave, without any restrictions, even if it means sin. And here's their reasoning. Well, Christ died for all of my sin, and I can't lose my salvation. I'm going to go to heaven regardless. So if I'm, I'm under grace, not law, and grace allows me to do anything I want, then, then why should I put any restrictions on my life? When I die, I've got God's promise that I'm going to go to heaven. Now, folks, that's how many people think. And that's precisely why cult leaders and false teachers and even some so-called Bible-believing pastors and churches have so much success in luring people into their folds. It's because they appeal to this popular notion that grace equates to a license to sin. You see, groups like, like this, they win people to their religious systems or their churches by telling them that in their religious organization, they won't be judged. Nobody will look down on you for any way that you behave. You can live any way you please, and no one's going to come up to you and condemn you. We'll take you as you are. They wouldn't dare think of preaching against any kind of sinful behavior. They don't, listen, they don't even mention the word sin unless it makes people feel uncomfortable. Now, notice how God's word addresses this. Two specific passages of Scripture. One is Jude, verse 4. I say verse 4 because there's only one chapter in Jude. But Jude, verse 4. Notice what Jude says. He was dealing with specific false teachers who had infiltrated churches in his area. 
his region. And so he writes, verse 4, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, meaning they've crept in to the churches. They've crept into the midst of true believers. Those who were long before marked out for this condemnation. And then he describes them. They are ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. That's a license to sin. And they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these particular teachers, false teachers, Jude says, they twisted the doctrines of grace in Christ to mean, they said, it's a freedom to sin. Do whatever you want. That's what grace means, they said. But Jude says that in doing this, actually deny Christ's lordship and the sovereign rule that he has over a person's life. In other words, you cannot indulge the flesh and at the same time live under the sovereign authority of Jesus Christ. But that's what these false teachers advocated. And listen, false teachers still advocate that today. Live as you please. Grace gives you that option. The second passage of Scripture is even more pointed. It's 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Peter also is dealing with false teachers. Maybe the same kind, maybe a little bit different. Here's what he said, starting in verse 18. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he's enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them, and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandments handed on to them. Now, Peter speaks here of false teachers who enticed their followers by appealing to their fleshly and sensual desires. And they do this, he said, by promising them freedom to live any way they, they please if they would only join their religious group. You don't have to change. Just come and be a part of our group. That is to say, they offer them some kind of religious experience while assuring them that they can hold on to their sinful ways without feeling a need to change their lifestyle. And Peter says that this type of religious seduction is especially appealing to those who are, in his words, trying to escape the defilements of the world. Now, Who's he referring to? He is not referring to believers. He is not referring to them. He is referring to those people who, in the words of one Bible teacher, and I quote, are vulnerable because they have high levels of guilt and anxieties. People with broken marriages, people who are lonely and tired of the consequences of sin and are looking for a new start, even for a religion or help from God. False teachers exploit these kinds of people. Folks, false teachers are still exploiting vulnerable people like this today. So beware of them in your own life and and warn others not to fall for this kind of seduction. They'll exploit you. They'll play upon your emotions and they'll appeal to sensuality, which says live any way you want as long as you join our group. You see, this message of freedom to do as we please can sound, it does sound, 
attractive to us because we're so used to it. We, we hardly think that the Bible's message is, is different. After all, this is what we hear all around us in the world that we live in. We live in a society that thrives on the thoughts of freedom and liberty. We are the land of the free. Our country was founded upon the concept of freedom, freedom of speech, freedom to worship any way as you please, freedom from a dictator, free enterprise, Patrick Henry's great cry, give me liberty or give me death. So why not a religion in which we are free to do anything we want to do without any restrictions or limitations? Well, that's what Paul is going to address right here in the passage that I read to you. He's going to explain in these verses what freedom in Christ really means. He will tell us how those who have been called to freedom, true believers, are supposed to behave. Now, keep in mind, this does not mean that we always behave this way. Otherwise, there'd be no reason for Paul to exhort us to behave this way. But this is how we who have been set free from the oppressiveness of the Old Testament law are supposed to behave. This is the standard. This is why God has set us free. So we do behave like this. So in the verses before us, the apostle explains what it means to be free in Christ by stating four ways that those who are free are to behave. Four ways. And let's get into our text and see what Paul has to say. Because the first thing he says, first way he says that people who have been set free are to behave is this. We don't use our freedom to indulge our fleshly desires. We don't use our freedom to indulge our fleshly desires. Verse 13 starts off this way. But you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Now, the first thing Paul tells us as he opens this brand new section is that those who have been called to salvation in Jesus Christ have been called to freedom. This is the sovereign work of God in bringing us to Christ. We've been called to freedom, but not the kind of freedom that gives us the liberty to indulge the desires of our flesh. Now, what exactly does Paul mean by this expression, opportunity for the flesh? That's how my English translation puts it, opportunity for the flesh. Well, there are a couple of words in this phrase that open up our understanding of what the apostle means. Number one, the first word is the word opportunity. This particular Greek word comes from a military term, meaning a, a base of, of operations. That is a, a place from which a military offensive is launched. So then Paul's thought is that we are not to use our freedom as a beachhead or a springboard to indulge our flesh. In other words, he's saying, don't let your freedom become a justification to live by your fleshly desires. Now, that brings us to the second key word that Paul uses, which is the word flesh. What does that mean? Well, in our English language, when, when we use or hear the word flesh, we normally we normally think of the skin that covers our, our bony skeleton, but that's not what the New Testament means by flesh. It's not the meaning at all. Nor does flesh in the New Testament refer to our physical bodies, but rather, watch this, refers to our sinful inclinations to do what is wrong, to do what is evil, to do what is in rebellion against God. See, the flesh is that part of us which is bent on self-centeredness, that part of us which is prone to sin and rebellion. 
Philip Ryken does an outstanding job of explaining the meaning of the word flesh when he writes this. Spiritually speaking, he says, flesh means something more than simply the body. It is the part of me that does not want what God wants. My corrupt human nature in all of its weakness and depravity. The body is part of that fallen condition, but only a part. Flesh refers, he says, to the unspiritual life of the whole person, which is inclined to sin. That's a great definition. It's that part of us which is inclined to sin. Now, let's put this together. When Paul says, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, he means don't use your freedom as an excuse to satisfy your sinful desires. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity to satisfy your sinful desires. You see, salvation by grace never gives us the freedom to sin, thinking that, well, since Christ paid for all of my sins, then I can have the liberty to do whatever I please, regardless of the consequences or restrictions. There are no consequences that are important. There are no restrictions that I need to put on on myself. Listen, to do as we please, note this, it's not freedom at all. It's simply another form of bondage. Because it's enslavement to our sinful desires. Frankly, there are many professing believers who are in bondage to their sinfulness. But they've deceived themselves into thinking that their Christian liberty gives them the right to indulge in all kinds of sinful practices like sex outside of marriage, drunkenness, vulgar language, and on and on it goes. They place no limits on their flesh thinking that this is acceptable to God because he's given them freedom to live like this. That's not Christian liberty at all. That's bondage. Bondage. And listen, it is the way that all non-Christians live. All, without any exceptions. They live that way because they are still, they have not come to faith in Christ, they are still enslaved to obey their sin nature that dictates their rebellion to God. Your nature dictates how you are. They only have a sin nature. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. That's why I went on to say, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. You'll be free from the slavery of sinfulness. You're, you're free to obey God, not freedom to continue in sin. So if you claim to be a Christian, but your lifestyle in terms of morality and ethics, and values, if your lifestyle looks no different from a non-Christian's lifestyle, then don't kid yourself. Don't let yourself be deceived into thinking that you're a converted person because you prayed a prayer somewhere of salvation. You are not a real Christian because real Christians are not in bondage to their fleshly desires. Now, it's true that real Christians struggle with their flesh all the time. And it's true that many times real Christians give in to their flesh, but the difference is is that they hate it. They hate their sin, and they do repent of their sin, and they evidence that the Holy Spirit lives within them by striving to obey the Bible. That's not true of non-Christians. That's not the experience at all of non-Christians. They are not free, even though they may think that they are because they feel that, well, they are free to choose however they want to live. But that kind of freedom as I said, only makes them slaves to their fleshly lusts. In fact, some non-Christians even pride themselves by thinking themselves as free spirits, free 
to do whatever they want. But the Bible says that far from being free spirits, all non-Christians are slaves to their sin. Paul told Titus in chapter 3, verse 3, For we also once, and he's speaking of unsaved people, we were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. That's one of the marks of a non-Christian, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, doing whatever they desire to do and can get away with. Paul also wrote the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 3, when he says, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. Every one of us before conversion lived in the lusts of our flesh. Every one of us. But when we came to faith in Christ, something radical happened in our lives. Not only were we justified, not only were we set free from the oppression of trying to be good enough to go to heaven by keeping the law, but we were released from the bondage of living by our lusts. We struggle still with our desires, but we've been set free. We're not bound to obey our lusts. Pastor Steve will complete this study on our next Verse by Verse. If you would like to listen to this class again, go to our website, versebyverseradio.org. You may also order a CD with both parts of this study by calling Verse by Verse at 727-239-0306. Verse by Verse comes to you from Lakeside Community Chapel, located at 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.